I mean, it's called horticulture therapy. Like when we go out and nurture something, we take care of something, we take the responsibility. It really does impact us in many different levels. Um, so I think we've kind of we've kind of forgotten a little bit of that, or we've gotten away from it. I mean, we're seeing gardens with children in schools and nursing homes, you know, sensory gardens for autism, the impact that they have, even from, so you learn how to grow things, but you have stimulation, right? We're seeing nature, mm -hmm. we're seeing mm -hmm. bees, we're seeing different plant life, like all these sensory things, I think are so helpful to child's overall, overall well-being. Welcome to the Soaring Child podcast, where parents of children with ADHD learn tips and tricks to help their child soar at home, at school, and in life. We feature interviews with experts, medical professionals, and parents just like you who are learning how to reduce ADHD symptoms using food and other natural strategies because children with ADHD deserve to soar just like every other child. I'm your host, Dana Kay. Hello, parents. This is Dana Kay here with another edition of the Soaring Child podcast. Now, everyone listening in knows that my passion is to support families of children with ADHD, but I know I can't reach everyone on my own. So that's why I'm asking for your help today. Will you follow this podcast? Will you share it with families and friends? Uh, leave a review because when you do these things... It helps us reach more and more people and offer hope to more families of children with ADHD. Now, today, we're actually diving into the world of transformative power of gardening. And you may think, be thinking to yourself, Donna, this is an ADHD podcast, not a gardening podcast. Well, you definitely want to stay tuned because we are going to uncover the nurturing aspects of gardening and the principles of food as medicine and how a garden to table lifestyle not only fosters, you know, this deeper connection with nature, but it also empowers not only ourselves, but our kiddos to become informed advocates for their own well-being. So journey with us as we explore this philosophy and the impact that this can have on our kiddos' lives. My guest, Katie Oglesby, is an edible garden designer, OMG, and a holistic health coach on a mission to help her clients to stop being passive participants in their health journeys and become courageous, informed advocates for their well-being. As a garden coach and a real food advocate, she fuses the healing power. We all know that food has got that healing power. She he uh, fuses the healing power of gardening with healing power of food as medicine in her garden designs and holistic approach to garden to table lifestyle. Now it's time to welcome Katie to the Soaring Child. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you on this topic. I am too. And I, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret. I don't have a green thumb and <laughs> I, I am secretly really excited about this episode because I'm hoping that it really helps me overcome those challenges as well, because I know, I know the power of medicine and food as medicine, but I need to embrace it in my house in, in exactly what you're teaching. So can you, can you explain for listeners today? Firstly, I think let's just go back to the beginning, how homegrown food 
really differs in quality, particularly in terms of like the nutrient content that we that we have from store-bought foods? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is, is to remember that our food is traveling a minimum of 1,200, 1,500 miles before it even gets to us. So when wow. we think about that time frame of from harvest to package to trucking to grocery store to us, that's a lot of time that mm-hmm. goes, you know, that passes by and, and food can deteriorate relatively quickly, like even just salad greens here in the U.S., 98% of them are coming from two locations. So when we think about the magnitude of how far that food has to get to us, mm-hmm. we've all bought lettuce that's slimy in the middle, right? Those containers or our berries are starting to mold. And that is just a product of the fact that it has to travel a ways to get here. And so there's a deterioration process there. That's number one. Number two, we don't know how it was grown. We don't know how it was cared for. We don't know what was applied to it from a pesticide standpoint to a preservative standpoint. And so we lose control from a quality standpoint there also. Yeah, hundred percent. I didn't know actually that it's only coming from two locations. California and Arizona, 98% of our salad greens. Wow. And so it's one of the easiest things to grow. Yeah. So, (laughs) and you don't need a big space to grow them. So that's my biggest thing is if you can grow something, you can grow that. That that's awesome. And I, I, you know, you think about like how far California and Arizona are from like the East coast of the USA. That is a long way. I've never actually thought about it in that, in that way. So let's dive into the many positives that can really come from gardening. Cause I know there are so many. So we talked, we talked about this, right? So the nutrient value and quality is, is higher. It is at our fingertips. We get to eat it at its optimal point, right? Right when we harvest it. So that's benefit number one is we're eating quality food. That's the main way we nourish ourselves, right? Is through food. So number one. Number two, we've really gotten away from the value of being outside, the health Mm -hmm. benefits of nature and being in the soil, touching Mm -hmm. the soil. Like we've really lost that connection And we've underestimated its power in our healing journey and supporting our health and just our overall well-being. Can you can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Because, you know, it is a very important concept that people actually don't know much about. Yeah, so let's I'm going to start off just with the study. And maybe you've heard of this. There was a study done in Finland and it was we're going to talk about children right now. So it was two Mm -hmm. different playgrounds. And they, one playground was your typical asphalt, rubber, concrete. And the other one, they recreated like a forest. So they brought in dirt and greenery. And after they had this test, you know, two sets of children playing on these playgrounds, they found that their microbiomes had changed. The children that had been in the dirt and in the green and in that lush environment. So when we think about a health standpoint, how important it is to get our hands in that dirt Mm-hmm. Our microbiomes, you know, we think of root causes of these diseases and things that we have, we forget how important that is. And just that, that one connection alone, what kid doesn't love to play in the dirt, right? Like it's a great activity for families and children to engage in. Yeah. Um, so you're hundred percent right. And, and I think that like, uh, you know, uh, I remember back in the day when I was a child, I used to go out, I used to get dirty but now we're, I don't know why as parents, we're like, oh no, don't go out and get in the dirt. But, you know, especially when it comes to kids with ADHD, 
the gut microbiome health is like super critical. And if you can actually just send your kid out into the dirt and benefit their microbiome, that's free. <laughs> that's easy. You can do it <laughs> daily. You don't need to buy some supplement. I think the the benefits are uh, so overwhelming there. Yeah. I mean, we've forgotten how those little things impact us, right? The sunlight. And, and I think there's the University of Illinois did a study about green surroundings, leave children with ADHD better able to concentrate, pay attention and just function because it's an increase of their activity level. Mm -hmm. Number one, number two, they're actually, they're engaged in something and it, it teaches them, I would say responsibility, maybe a little delay. It's not an instant gratification, but you do see things growing. They mm -hmm. have an investment in that. And then they're more likely to eat it when they grow it. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. I want to actually take a step back. You said something there that, you know, that, that gratification. Um, uh, and these days, all our kids want is that instant gratification. And the fact that this is slightly delayed is actually a really good thing because, you know, these computer games and they want to buy this and they can get it, you know, it's like Amazon, They this instant gratification. I, I want to buy this. Oh, it comes in an hour. That's cool. So I think that that delayed gratification is actually a really, really good thing. So let's, let's, let's dive in to, uh, you know, uh, um, I think, the learning, the hands-on learning experience is, is a huge benefit. You know, can you sort of um, dive a little bit deeper into that? Yes. Yeah, so I definitely think, not that you're having a school curriculum in your backyard, but the learning of growing your own food, the process, understanding how nature works, the responsibility of making sure it's getting watered, making sure it has sunlight, you know, just those things I think are really important for children. We've lost that. Um, and I think it just really helps. I mean, it's called horticulture therapy. Like when we go out and nurture something, we take care of something, we take the responsibility. It really does impact us in many different levels. Um, so I think we've kind of, we've kind of forgotten a little bit of that, or we've gotten away from it. I mean, we're seeing gardens with children in schools and nursing homes, you know, sensory gardens for autism, the impact that they have, even from, so you learn how to grow things, but you have stimulation, right? We're seeing nature, mm -hmm. we're seeing bees, we're seeing different plant life, like all these sensory things I think are so helpful to child's overall, overall well-being. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, and I think that like we do, we have lost that. And, you know, I've got a lot of parents, um, uh, you know, in my, in my program that are like, oh, what are some great activities for kids with ADHD? You know, I think that this actually provides such a benefit in multiple areas, not only like in that learning, um, but the, the conversations that can come out of that, that responsibility, as you said, it builds that responsibility. And a, a lot of our kids don't have a lot of uh, responsibility um, these days. They lack, um, you know, when we were, we, when we were younger, at the age of seven, my mum would be like, see you later, go out into the neighbourhood, you know, Bye -bye. come back before it's dark, you know, and we would go yeah. out. We would learn about responsibility, but our kids these days just, they're not, where we're so more focused on, um, you know, keeping them in this little bubble uh, that, 
they're not they're not building those skills so definitely love the idea of like bringing that in uh to to the daily life of that child now i i want to um you mentioned something uh when they grow it they are more likely to eat it and i think that that is an awesome concept to explore a little bit further because especially kids with adhd tend to be more picky eaters I've, I've seen it over and over with clients, right? They, the children, so if you give them a little buy and say, we're, these are the staple things we're going to grow as a family and you each get to pick one or new two, two new things to try, right? And grow and nurture. And it's amazing the buy-in that they have when they have that and they want to try it. They've spent mm-hmm. all summer or a few months, right? Taking care of that baby plant. And I've just seen pallets explode. And I also think when we're starting to eat fresh things, we're also changing our palates just because we're so used to, we have more processed food, right? Mm -hmm. So every little step that we can take when you can bite a fresh carrot out of the garden starts to change that palate and our sense or, you know, our taste buds start to change a little bit and we start getting away from maybe some of those more addictive foods and we crave these foods. Yeah, it's definitely. And I see it all the time. Like, uh, you know, in my program, when we start to change their palate, like when we start to sort of reduce inflammation, when we start introducing all of these new things, their palate does change. I will say for families listening though, you know, it can take 15 to 20 times to accept a new flavor or a new texture. So don't give up if someone goes, no, I don't no. like that. Uh, don't just give up and, and stop trying. Um, but this is a really, really great way to engage them into trying trying new things now. So, you know, you've got a family, they're thinking to themselves, yes, I love this idea. Can you sort of walk us through how like a beginner can start, you know, with their own edible garden? So I think one of the easiest ways to start is a raised, is a raised better containers. You have a lot more control, less responsibility, maybe for the parents when it comes to tilling and weeding and things like that. So my recommendation is to start with either containers. If you're in small spaces, you know, you can use pots or window boxes or some type of raised bed. Um, first important thing is buying a high quality soil. Most gardens fail to thrive that's what it will see a poor quality soil. So investing in a high quality soil, some organic soil, do some research. Usually the local places in your area will tell you like a great, a great growing medium for you to get. And that's pretty, pretty based on where you live. Hey, Soaring Child listeners, the episode is brought to you in part by the ADHD Thrive Institute and Dana Kay, the author of the best-selling book, Thriving with ADHD. If you have a child with ADHD and are looking for natural ways to bring more peace and calm to your home, this book will provide a step-by-step plan to get you started. Think of it like your ADHD guidebook, helping you determine what foods are best for your children with ADHD, what foods to avoid, which supplements are typically most effective, and how to overcome common obstacles, and so much more. It is possible to thrive with ADHD. This book can help. Learn more at ADHDthriveinstitute.com forward slash book. Again, that's ADHDthriveinstitute.com forward slash book. Now let's get back to today's episode. Um, I will say I I did, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, but I I love that you said organic soil because, uh, you know, we, I would have thought of any soil, 
But now that you mentioned that, well, probably that soil, if it's not organic, then it may have some of those nasty toxins in it. Is is that is, um, is my assumption correct? So it is. It's a tough thing because when you go buy topsoil somewhere, you really don't know where it came from. It's not being tested. Mm. And so I always like to say when we're mixing a soil, it's usually about a third topsoil. I do, I put a lot of organic compost in, so I will source my compost locally where I know it's being, so I have an organic place here that we can get it from. And you can add a little bit of sand just for drainage. So it's usually that third, one third, one third mixture, but you do have to be conscientious of where that's coming from because you have no idea where it was scraped from. And I mean, the soil is the plant's external microbiome. So when we think about that, we really want to make sure that's healthy and it's alive because that's how we're going to get nutrient-dense food and success in the garden. Yeah. Okay. So we've got the, we've got the pot or the raised bed. We've got the soil that's made up of topsoil, organic, um, uh, compost, yep. compost. And then we've got the sand. What next? So we want to make sure that we're getting sunlight. So we're going to kind of watch our location of where we're locating the bed. We want a minimum of six to eight hours. If you're in a shady spot, there's some things that you can grow in the shade, um, but you want to look for sunlight and then making sure you have access to water, that it's easy to water for you. We don't want it to be a, we don't want gardening to be a deterrent. So thinking through that a little bit, but then what I'd like to tell families to do is like list your top five favorite meals. And what in those meals can you grow? So we're starting out growing things that we already like and love. That also ensures a little bit of success. So we kind of break it down that way. Um, and there's a little bit of a tier. So herbs are the easiest things to grow, then salad, greens, and then the fruiting vegetables. So if you really want to start out slow, you can kind of segment into that. Um, but salad greens are anywhere between 30 and 60 days. So we get that quick result. Mm. And who doesn't love a fresh salad every day, right? So those are just some things to kind of think through when you're starting. Really determine. That's the one thing I see too is growing intentionally. We want to grow along. We want to have a goal with the garden. Otherwise, we kind of like lose some steam and, and mm. it may not perform or be what we want it to be. So really think about that when you're making that plan. And, and, and question, um, uh, do these plants tend to regrow once you harvest, once you harvest them, or do you have to replant every, you know, every season? So most things you're going to replant every season. Um, I'm going to try to break this down to make this as concise as possible. So let's just take salad greens, for instance, yeah. usually you should buy seeds for those. You don't want to buy plugs at the nursery. They've already been in there for a while. We don't, you know, they're kind of almost at the end of their lifespan. So we want to start with seeds. It's more economical for families. And every 30 to 60 days, you can plant a fresh salad garden. Mm. So when you look at your seasons, we always talk about determining your seasons. Um, we have cool, we have cold, cool, warm, and hot. So when you look at your seasons, that really helps you define how to grow and really teaches you how to maximize your garden. So we want to make sure we're growing things within your right season. You're also going to see kind of an increased success. But most vegetables are all annual plants. So every year you will start with fresh seeds or fresh plants, and then you get an opportunity to change it up to every year. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I actually, I'm actually really considering going out and getting a, a pot and getting started with this. Um, I don't know whether or not it will survive. I mean, you can see, I, I, I think I've done pretty well with the plants behind me. Yeah. 
<clears throat> but um, I do have other people in the house that remind me to uh, to water the plant. This one here, I have to say, is really good because it just droops and it's, that's telling me, okay, mom, I need some more water. Uh, so um, uh, curious, um, what are your some of your favourite plants and herbs um, to include in sort of like a healing garden? That's a great question. So from an herb standpoint, I love to have, we have cilantro growing all the time and I even will grow it in a microgreen form in little areas in the garden. Basil is a favorite, holy basil, rosemary, thyme. I love lavender and lemon verbena, you know, things that you can also dry for tea. So say you can't say you're sick of eating basil or things like that, but you can also dry them for teas in the winter. We want to make sure that this garden gives year round. So if you're in a cold Northern climate, like I am, I'm going to think I'm going to grow for what I need now and grow so I can still enjoy my garden in the winter a little bit. And I think, you know, that's also fun for kids to be able to preserve things for later, right? To have gifts from the garden, to really make sure we're bringing that to the table and getting the buy-in there also with families. It just makes the experience much more. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and um, so speaking of winter, what are uh, um, some, uh, some of those plants that thrive in the winter time? Cause uh, I know that my plants out in my, in my garden uh, are pretty bare in the winter time. Yeah. So in the winter I switch to microgreens because I can still get my hands in the dirt every week as I'm planting new ones. They're a quick turnaround, seven to 10 days for most of them. And so I think that's fun for kids to grow. You can just have a grow light. It's yeah. not that expensive and they're nutrient powerhouses. So again, keeping things growing through the winter, that is that is my biggest recommendation for people in the winter is to, to supplement with that because it's hard to find high quality greens. Yeah, I love microgreens. I actually buy them from the supermarket and I didn't even think about uh, growing them myself because, you know, you've got these little broccoli sprouts and you've got these like micro um, micro kale and um, uh, I, I love them and they're actually <clears throat> probably a lot more palatable for our picky eater yeah. kids than, than something, you know, like a proper big herb. Um, so I do love that idea and you can sprinkle it on the salad as well to get those nutrient powerhouses for them. Um, do you have, like, cause I know that you're a health coach as well. Uh, do you have sort of any success stories you can share where that, you know, that garden to table approach, um, has, has impacted someone's health? So it, the, this all came from my health personally. So the first story started with me. And then I have witnessed many clients who originally came because they wanted a lifestyle shift. They had parents that were ill or cases of cancer, early heart attacks. And they were like, I need to change my trajectory of yeah. what we're doing, how we're living. Yeah. Um, and I've watched them embrace it. And I've watched them heal and change and kids adapt it's been amazing to see and even even the biggest compliment was is we didn't really believe you when you said the cauliflower would taste different but you were totally right the cauliflower tasted different so just the fact that they're that that they've really embraced you know and noticed the difference from a taste and in their health stand, standpoint um i've seen many just go from eating more processed food to now really integrating more of the homegrown foods and it's it's rewarding to watch oh I bet it is and um I can just really see how this could impact our kids especially those picky eaters because 
you know, it's, <clears throat> it is hard to get them to try new things, but if they're invested, if they understand where it's come from, if they've taken the time, if they've watched it, it is that, it is that pride. It's that, uh, you know, accomplishment. It's that, you know, gratification, but then they actually get to eat what they've grown. So I think this has been a fantastic uh, insight into what are the benefits for our kids, our kids with ADHD. There are so many benefits. It's not just getting them to eat more vegetables. It goes way beyond that. Um, Katie, I think this has been a really amazing episode and I appreciate you sharing your knowledge, uh, sharing your experience with our listeners. Please tell listeners where they can find and follow you online. So you can follow us at katieoglesby.com is my website. We are on Instagram at Katie M. Oglesby. Also Pinterest is a great place and Facebook to find us. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again for joining me today. Listeners, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Soaring Child Podcast. I'm Dana Kay, your ADHD health practitioner. Keep on thriving. Thank you for listening to the Soaring Child podcast today. To learn more about how to help your child with ADHD soar using natural strategies, visit our website at adhdthriveinstitute.com and follow us on social media at ADHD Thrive Institute.